Ten years ago this month, the Pagami Creek Fire burned 93,000 acres in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. A lightning strike approximately 13 miles east of Ely ignited the fire. First detected on August 18, 2011, the fire smoldered in a bog for several days before it erupted on a monumental scale. According to the Department of Natural Resources, it was the seventh largest fire in Minnesota history and the largest inside state lines in nearly 100 years. The powerful blaze vaporized trees and resulted in a massive 35,000-foot plume that created its own weather system. Smoke from the Pagami Creek fire drifted as far as Chicago. Along its destructive path, the Pagami Creek fire destroyed numerous campsites in the BWCA and rendered many canoe portages and trails unusable and unsafe within the federally protected wilderness. Greg and Julie Welch from Indian River, Michigan, stopped at the Tofty Ranger Station on September 11, 2011, to pick up their permit to enter through the Kawishawi Lake entry point. Though they normally travel in a canoe in the BWCA, on this particular trip they had separate kayaks. The Forest Service employee at the ranger station told them about the active fire burning near Lake 1 in Pagami Creek, but the BWCA and their chosen entry point were open. After an easy day of travel on the second day of a 10-day trip, which was Monday, September 12th, extreme shifting winds caused the fire to expand another six miles east. Greg and Julie were camped on Kawashachong Lake when the fire rolled up on them, suddenly and with little warning. Greg was out fishing from his kayak when he first spotted the flames. Moments later, he said the sound of the fire was deafening. He described it to me on August 10th, 2021, a little less than 10 years removed from when the scene unfolded. So, yeah, that was one thing that was very pronounced about the whole event was the the noise level. So it started out as just a couple twigs breaking off in the distance in the woods, and then it got louder. Instead of tree, tree limbs breaking, it sounded like trees breaking, you know, loud crashes. And then it started sounding more like, I call it freight train noise. So it sounded like you were standing in, in between a couple of freight trains as they're coming by you at 100 miles an hour kind of thing so they were very loud so uh, for us uh, talking to each other it was actually difficult to do because there was so much noise very windy very wavy lots of embers flying through the air the fire was so hot that like the pine trees when it would when it would get to a pine tree it would not instead of just burning it up it would kind of blow it up it was just amazing amount of heat coming through so a lot of small explosions if you will but it was basically just trees you know kind of exploding as the heat hit them and then a lot of embers flying through the air a lot of noise a lot of wind just a lot of chaos frankly before they took their kayaks out onto the lake to try to escape the fire both greg and julie grabbed whatever items they could from their camp a tarp their camp stove and a few possessions were among the items they grabbed Julie, unfortunately, forgot to grab her life jacket, which remained inside the tent back at camp. Greg quickly ran up a steep embankment to get Julie's life jacket, and in that time frame, the fire descended upon them. Here's Greg explaining what happened next. 
basically she was out in the water. I was um, getting ready to leave the shoreline. I pushed off from the shoreline, and at this point, I couldn't really see Julie at all. The smoke had, was so thick that uh, I just couldn't physically see her. Um, and then the the wind kind of blew a little bit, and it picked the smoke up off the lake for just a minute. And I could see Julie, and she could see me. And then what happened to her was the wind was so strong, it actually picked her and the kayak up out of the water about a foot or so. And, of course, she became unstable. It flipped over. She went back into the water, and her kayak uh, just kind of endoed, end over end uh, across the water and just kind of disappeared into the smoke. So I paddled out trying to get to her and... uh, I was not able to because of the wind. It was just so strong that you couldn't do anything about it. So I basically jumped off my kayak and held on to it. And then we swam to each other and uh, were able to, you know, kind of get back together physically that way in the water. So we we uh, realized, you know, pretty quickly that the fire had kind of surrounded us at that point. It was on all sides of the lake that we were on and all the little islands on the lake were on fire. So there really wasn't anywhere to go. We um, stayed in the water for probably about 40, 45 minutes total and uh, just kind of trying to stay away from the shoreline. It kept on pushing us into the shoreline or trying to because of the high winds and high waves. So at some point, we started actually getting hypothermia uh, because we were in the water for so long. So we decided to at least try to get to a point where we were in shallower water. And uh, we found a, a kind of a little peninsula coming off the shoreline and started kind of walking towards that peninsula while we were in the water. And we ended up actually running into a couple of large boulders that we didn't see because it was so thick uh, with smoke. But we ran into these boulders. So uh, we decided to get up on top of the boulders instead of trying to make it all the way to the mainland. So we we did that. And then um, as we were up on the boulders, what had happened, and we didn't realize it at the time, but they call it a collapse of the plume. So the moisture that was up in the high atmosphere uh, freezes and turns into ice crystals. And once it gets heavy enough, it will actually drop back down to earth in the form of moisture. So basically what happened was it started raining extremely hard and also hailing and lightning and thunder and just a whirlwind of uh, activity. But it rained so hard that it actually put the fire out in our area. And so it was very uh, traumatic in how it started, and it was also very dynamic in how it ended because it just totally put the fire out. So it was a very strange uh, situation to be in. After the fire was mostly out and the wind started to calm down and the rain and hail had stopped and moved on, Greg and Julie decided to spend the night on the shoreline using what items they had to make a makeshift camp. One item they did have was a piece of cherry pie and that's what they ate to get through the night. They were glad to be alive, but it was still a very nerve-wracking night in the Boundary Waters. Greg describes the scene. Yeah, we did move to shore. Uh, we actually we actually had hit on a campsite on the opposite end of the lake. So we, we basically, uh, we had lost our tent. Uh, we had lost most of our dry bags that we had. And uh, so we had a tarp, so we set the tarp up um, 
on the, it was kind of like a peninsula that kind of stuck out from the mainland. So we set up close to the edge of the water just in case the fire came back. So we had kind of an escape route. And uh, we actually, my wife had lost her, um, she has glasses and contacts. So she had taken her taken her contacts out. She had a pair of glasses on when the fire hit. And when she flipped out of the kayak, she lost her glasses. And unfortunately for her, she's very nearsighted. So she couldn't see anything the whole time of the fire as far as any detail. When we had set up, started setting up camp on that site, we actually had a dry bag wash up on shore and it had two things in it. One was her second pair of glasses and the other thing was a sleeping bag that was still dry. So we were able to, you know, kind of use that. We had a, a stove that uh, had made it and uh, so we actually had a little bit of cherry pie left and we used that as our food for the night and uh, just kind of hung out and it was very eerie at the, after it got dark because the all the ground was glowing red from the fire uh, and so the whole perimeter of the lake was, was all you know kind of glowing if you will through the night so it was it was a little intimidating to still be there, but we really didn't ha- have a lot of choice at the time. So. And how about that cherry pie? Best, best cherry pie you've ever had? Yes, that was a good one. And especially since we were able to heat it up on the stove, it was even better. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a good thing. Despite its immense size, the Pagami Creek fire caused no serious injuries or human deaths. That being the case, Greg told me that he and Julie wondered if they would survive the situation as it was unfolding. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yep, I think both of us have had a lot of reflection on that particular event. I mean, we did we did both think at one point during the event that we might not make it. The, the problem for us was not the fire, it was the smoke. Uh, the smoke was extremely thick and it just appeared like it was not going to go away. Uh, so, you know, we were using, um, uh, like fleece jackets, wetting them down, putting them over our faces as we were in the water. We were diving down underneath the water, cleaning out our nostrils from all the ash and such that build up. Um, so we were trying to do what we could to, to minimize the smoke impact on us, but we both kind of realized at some point that, that the smoke was going to potentially be, you know, the problem for us. Um, so yeah, we were, we were kind of at that point where we were questioning our survival. Lee Freilich, the director of the University of Minnesota Center for Forest Ecology, told me that the Pagami Creek fire burned approximately 9% of the entire BWCA. In the 10 years that have passed, the burned area is on the mend, though it could take another decade for it to look the way that it did before the fire. The Pagami Creek fire was the result of extended periods without rain, unusually warm temperatures, and high winds that combined to create explosive fire conditions across much of Minnesota in 2011, particularly inside the BWCA. On August 26th, about a week after the Pagami Creek fire was discovered, Relative humidity sank to 18%, and the strong north wind pushed the flames into the treetops. The fire grew to approximately 130 acres within a short period of time, and firefighters were challenged by the conditions and the driest fall in 140 years, according to Forest Service documents. 
While the Pagami Creek fire was not common by its sheer magnitude, it's hardly the first forest fire to impact the BWCA or the WTIP listening area. As we reflected in our documentary about the 2007 Ham Lake fire, which scorched nearly 75,000 acres along the Gunflint Trail and into Ontario, fires are something that most people who visit or live near the wilderness have no choice but to accept as a reality. The 2021 paddling season has been marked by drought and heat in the BWCA. A campfire ban has been in effect for most of the summer, and it remains so heading into the 10-year anniversary of the Pagami Creek fire. Meanwhile, Greg and Julie are planning to return to the Boundary Waters in late August, in part to reflect on the fire, but also to celebrate the 10 years of experiences that they've shared since. Anytime you go through something like that, um, it kind of forces you to reflect a little bit on kind of life in general. Um, you know, for me, it was... Um, it was uh, an experience that I really am kind of glad we went through because we did make it. It was just kind of one of those crazy events that, you know, if you made it, which we did and didn't get hurt, uh, you're certainly not going to forget about it. And it certainly makes you appreciate, you know, things in your life like your family and your kids and, you know, your your life in general. You, you do appreciate things a little bit more because of that kind of situation. Reporting for WTIP, this is Joe Fredericks.